Welcome to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth seeking. Today, I'm your host, Dina Rao. I'm a writer in the MHNJ copy department. And in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, which is May in the United States, we will be discussing mental and emotional well-being. Today, I am here with Olivia Hurley and Jessica Michaels. Feel free to introduce yourselves, maybe starting with Olivia. Hi, my name is Olivia Hurley. I'm an associate project manager here at McCann Health. Hi, I am Jess Michaels, and I work on the business leadership team at McCann Health. Thank you. Sure. So first, I'd like to thank you both for opting to have this discussion with me about Mental Health Awareness Month. Secondly, I'd like to just take a moment to recognize the fact that Mental Health Awareness Month has actually been observed since about 1949, which is longer than I expected. And according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, about one in five adults experience mental illness each year in the United States. Yet many of us know that some stigma still exists around mental health. So I'd like to start the conversation by asking simply outside of a clinical or medical dictionary definition, what is your understanding of mental health? Let's start with Jess. Sure. So life, I think for everybody has lots of situational experiences, right? We have good days, we have bad days, we have good experiences, we have bad experiences. But in my perception of mental health, I think mental health is kind of the armor that we have that allows us to be resilient in experiences that maybe aren't so good and also allows us to feel the highs that are so good more profoundly. And of course, we can cultivate mental health in a lot of ways through our social connections, through our practices and our self-care and through our physical health. But I think when we are taking care of our mental health and our mental health is prioritized, we just have a lot more zest, for lack of a better word, in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It has an effect on so many different aspects. And it's the guard. I love that, that armor for how you might approach a negative situation as well as receive positive ones. Yeah. Olivia, what are your thoughts on what mental health is to you in general? Generally speaking, I feel like mental health is just really self-care. Your conversations that you're having with yourself on a day-to-day basis, whether it just be your internal monologue, which I've heard, by the way, that not everybody has, side note. Mm, but <laughs> it's so crazy to me. But constantly talking to yourself and when you're just going through the day-to-day motions, how uh, you're treating your actions, how you're thinking about what you're doing in every moment, being present in that moment, how your past is affected, how you're acting in this moment, how you're letting your future affect how you're acting in this present moment, just kind of being centered all the time and understanding where you are in the present and just being aware of it. I feel like that's the biggest part of mental health is being aware of that state. And so I feel like it's very easy as human beings to lose sight and lose track of where you are in exactly this moment because we're always so focused on past, present, future, and really being present is the most important to cultivate a more positive and better future. So sometimes when we're so wrapped up in those things, we lose sight and our mental health kind of is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that wrangle on your metacognition piece. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love the idea of like being present so you can really understand how it is you're responding to things and not necessarily just reactively, you know, really understanding why it is you're feeling a certain way, what informed that and what you can do moving forward. Yeah. I think a lot of people hear the term mental health and immediately they go to depression or anxiety or any of those things, which are all, of course, encompassed in the term mental health. But 
in order to even take care of yourself to get yourself at a good level baseline on the day to day, you have to just make sure you're good all the time. It doesn't matter if you're depressed or you're anxious. It should be a daily function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my research, I found that one of the easier ways to digest the idea of mental health is in psychological, emotional, and social well-being. Mm-hmm. And for one, let's say my initials are DR, but I'm not a doctor. So if I say anything false, you can email me and I'll issue a correction. But I did a college triad research. So as a grounding point, we have these psychological, emotional, social well-being kind of categories, let's say. Mm-hmm. And within there, we have different types of mental illness. You know, there's there's impact on how you think and how you feel and how you act. But specifically, there's neurodevelopmental disorders that maybe occur as a child, like uh, learning disabilities or autism, ADHD. There's neurocognitive disorders that are acquired, maybe of injury or disease. And then there's common ones that people know of. You know, there's trauma, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, things like impulsive control. So OCD or intermittent explosive disorder, eating disorders, dissociative identity, personality, psychotic disorders. But all that's to say that kind of what I'm hearing from you guys as well is that mental health and mental illness challenges take so many different forms. And they lend themselves to such individuality and unique needs that there's this uh, ambiguous idea of what mental health looks like, but how does understanding your own mental health really maybe like impact you as a teammate, maybe like in your profession, like, uh, or even as an individual? Like Olivia, what do you think? I think that understanding who you are and how you're feeling and all of your thoughts combined and like you were saying, all those sectors of mental health is truly all make up who you are as an individual, the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs, the lows, all of it. So mm-hmm. if you're swaying towards higher or low, you might show up for the people that you're surrounded with, projecting a different version of yourself, depending on how your mental health is in that current moment. I feel like when it comes to your friends and loved ones and people who surround you, if you're not aware of your own mental health, they can't really help you. And there's not much room there for improvement if mm-hmm. you're not understanding it on your own. So I think the first step always is to kind of have that self-awareness of knowing, hey, like something difficult I'm dealing with on the side right now is making it tough for me to show up for the people that I love today and are the people that I work with on my team. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if you aren't aware of that, how can you let them know? Mm -hmm. And then they're just going to see it and perceive it as, oh, this person is rude or has Mm -hmm. an attitude or anything like that when it's really just not even meant to be any type of way towards the other people that you're interacting with. It's really just your own internal thoughts and feelings kind of projecting out, obviously, when they don't mean to be. So I feel like on a day-to-day basis, if you're not really centering yourself and being aware of those things, it can lead to a lot more conflict and only spiral and kind of snowball effect of more stress, more anxiety, more problems. Because if you're not cool, calm, and collected, some people won't take will be too privy to how you're acting towards them and vice versa too you know you, people might not know what they're going to expect you might be super duper happy all the time and super excited and when you suddenly flip a switch and you're all upset people are going to be asking you if you're okay and all these things but it's just overwhelming when you have all of these things going on in your life and you're not taking care of them mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Jess, what do you think this understanding of your own mental health and your own needs, how does that affect your understanding of others' needs? Like maybe even professionally on the job or outside of it? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And it makes me think a lot, Dina, about what you were talking about in the beginning, how mental health looks so differently for different people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that goes even into disease categories themselves. So we're talking about mental illnesses. There is a very stereotypical perception of the way that somebody who may be, let's say, depressed looks, right? Mm -hmm. They're unproductive. They're laying in bed. They're sad. They're somber. But I also think there are different iterations and displays of depression where somebody may be able to put a maximum capacity into their work and they can be bright and sunny on their outside and that's their disposition. But on the inside, they're struggling because all they have to bring and bolster up their esteem is this work that they're doing. And so I think with that as our framework, we can really be mindful that regardless of what somebody may appear to be like or look like or act like, you have no idea what could be going on under the surface. And so I think if we all just kind of assume positive intent with people and their actions, if they're acting up or they're acting in a way that you wouldn't typically act or expect somebody to act, I think if you can come back and think to yourself, I wonder what is causing them to act this way. I wonder if they're going through something. I wonder if they're struggling. And you can just give that exertion of compassion to the extent that you can without, of course, getting walked over. We don't need to be treated poorly. But if we can go into things with that as a framework, I think our relationships are better. And I think the way that we interact with people is better. And then in turn, the product that we have at work is better because that collaboration piece is really what gives us the great work that our clients love to see. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And I feel like that's like the first step in everything too, yeah. is being able to step back and really say, okay, what is this person going through? Because even though you might be working on your mental health, even though you might be trying to be present and think all the time, hey, like I'm not feeling so hot today or... Yeah, I'm feeling great today and I'm going to think about what other people around me are perceiving in their lives. So I'm not taking anything personally. But what about the times that you're not, you know, and have somebody who doesn't think that way and they're just going on to their daily life and they're assuming that people don't have good intent when then obviously most likely it's not the case. Yeah. And that's where it kind of all stems from, I believe, is not everybody has that ability and then you think about your own health, I'm speaking kind of personally here, but like for me, I always take in other people's anxiety by accident, obviously. And so if I'm like witnessing someone super anxious, I immediately start taking that in. I won't even realize it. And I'll start getting anxious myself. And I kind of need to take a step back sometimes. I take a step back and say, okay, is this me that's feeling this right now? Or is it somebody else that's going through something? And that I feel like is exactly what you were just speaking about, Jess. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks yeah. for being so open about it. And it makes me think too, I love what you're saying about like taking that step back and being intentional because in the end, that step back is going to allow you to have a better result. This kind yeah. of goes back to what you were saying, Dina, about like how our mental health impacts our work and how we mm. interact with our team. And I think we kind of live 
in a world and in an industry where productivity is really important. Of course, we want to do great work. That's the intention of why we're here. We work with great people. We're promoting great products. It's really important that we're doing great work. But I also, Dina, am not a doctor and my initials are not DR, but (laughs) I do read a lot. And I read this book called The Happiness Advantage, and it's by a Harvard researcher. And basically what he talks about in his book is the way that if we are taking care of ourselves and in a good mental state, that actually has positive implications on our output and on our work. So if we think about it that way, we can really see even doing all of the things that sometimes we may consider unproductive as being down the road really productive for us. That's a great thought relating to self-care. And I want to sit with that for a little bit and talk about how that self-care, I mean, it's maintenance. And you mentioned that it's not always something that maybe we want to do, but they're necessary and they make for the best individual, the best quality, the the best, let's say, product in work or even your life. But why is self-care sometimes uncomfortable? Like, why do we feel guilty stepping away from work? Maybe we're so tired. We need to go eat or we need to take a rest and shut our eyes for 10 minutes. Why do we feel bad saying no every now and then? Like, Olivia, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I feel like that goes a lot back to the stigma thing that we were just talking about, where we live in this world, not only just our industry, but though I think society as a whole really puts pressure on us all for productivity and getting things out the door and being fast paced with the society that we live in. It's kind of everything we know. And I know now there's kind of more of a conversation when it comes to mental health. We have podcasts like these, we have Mental Health Awareness Month, we have all these like wonderful resources out there because people have been starting to open up about it, but it's took us so long to get here. And I feel like it's kind of like a crashing point that made everyone open up because it's going to get gotten so severe and I do feel like it's very difficult since it's been instilled in us for so long to change that behavior immediately considering we're a behavior change agency kind of important for us um, to take note of that it's a hard thing for people to just adjust everything even if you're trying even if somebody's openly every day and actively trying to change their behavior and be more mindful and think about all of these things that they can do to take care of themselves and have this self-care routine. It's not something that you can just snap your fingers and pick up. And the guilt comes from that, really. It's just a matter of wanting to get everything done, feeling like the weight of the world is falling on your shoulders, because that's just what we've been taught. It's what we've been told. And now that we're starting to open up about it more, I think is wonderful. But again, it's not going to be an immediate switch. Yeah. Olivia, that really makes me think of things we know about habit creation and the things we know about what it takes for a habit to really implant itself in your brain. And a key piece I think that we don't necessarily think about all the time is that it requires the trigger, it requires a habit, and then it requires a reward. Like your brain literally requires reward for it to bake that habit into your brain. And since we were little kids, nobody gets rewarded for taking a break. It's like you came home and you got an A on your test and your parents were so proud of you. And that's just what you know, right? And of course, it's well-intentioned, but less likely is it that you're like, you know what, I'm going to go take a nap. And somebody's like, great job. You have done a really good job today taking care of yourself, right? And so it's like, we never got 
that reward. And now that we're in the workplace, it's almost like we're worried that people are going to be upset with us. So we're worried that people are going to think we're being too slow or we're not being the best teammate we can. And then that makes us feel guilty. And guilt is, I don't know about for you guys, it doesn't feel like a reward to me. It feels pretty awful. So I think as we're starting to kind of make these shifts and Olivia, to your point, try to get this to be a more habituated behavior, it's really good if we can for our teammates and for each other when somebody's like, hey, listen, I have to take a break. One thing I try to do to be mindful is to say, hey, I'm really glad you're going to take a walk. Like, good for you. That's more important than this. Or, oh, I have to go drop my son off at school. Great. That's amazing that you're spending time with your family in that way. That is so fantastic. And I think as we kind of build a culture and getting accustomed to getting some sort of reward, whether it just be that little dopamine hit from ourselves or from somebody else of saying like, I'm so excited for you that you chose to do the right thing and take care of yourself in that moment. I think that's how we over time start to build the habit of self-care. It becomes more accessible and it becomes more exciting because we don't think we're going to be reprimanded for it. We think we're going to be rewarded for it. Yeah, I love that. I was smiling, though, because that's literal positive reinforcement, like in the classical conditioning sense, you know, like you're adding a thing that reinforces that behavior. That's so awesome. So like, it's almost like training people like, yes, to like that thing. A huge part of that too is with work is unique, like very specific to just working in general and feeling like you have to be constantly productive and doing it, everything in no time for self-care. I feel like something kind of, you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of others and to take care of your team and to show up. And I feel like that's something that's lost very easily is people think that they're taking care of others by pushing themselves to their very maximum and past their limits. And next thing you know, they're crashing and burning and they're spending a month of pushing themselves too hard. And then there's a week of just crash and they have more on their plate. You know, that just happens to be how we are. We're never really not busy. So <laughs> we always have a ton of things to do. And if we're crashing like that, we're pushing ourselves too much for too long and we can't show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually part of why, if you notice that I sound a little congested today, it's because I am. It's because I worked like two, 2 a.m. nights last week, you know, and I just, I wasn't able to really take care of myself. And I put my priorities, you know, maybe not where they should have been. And now I'm sorry. <laughs> But speaking of physical health, I guess, you can hear my voice, right? You can see the tissue. Well, you can't see the tissues, but my boyfriend can see the tissues or my runny nose (laughs) by sneezing and whatever. Like, you can't really deny physical health. But for some reason, mental health, it's obviously intangible. It's harder to quantify and measure. But I don't know, Jess, why does it hit different when somebody schedules, I had to be out of the office for a therapy session versus a doctor's appointment or a dentist or something like that? I I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's not quantifiable. You can't see it. I mean, sure, you could see when somebody seems off or different, but it's not something like a broken bone where you can take an x-ray and see the break. It's not like if you x-rayed your brain, you'd see a break. I mean, of course, you can see sometimes chemical disparities, but it's not so readily seen. And with our minds, 
I think it goes back to what Olivia was saying about that metacognition piece. Like we have that voice in our head that's kind of thinking about thinking. And for so long and for so many years, it almost seemed like a testament to lack of willpower that somebody was struggling or a sign of weakness when genuinely it oftentimes is a chemical imbalance. You wouldn't deny a diabetic their insulin if somebody's chemicals are out of whack that's valid and that's fair and even if they're not and it's just a situation that you're struggling with i don't think people have necessarily seen the value of mental health as it relates to productivity which quite honestly is disappointing that it takes us to have to be unable to do work or to be able to do something that we deem productive for it to be important But that's why those studies and things like I was talking about with the happiness advantage, I think are so important because it helps to really show the value of mental health and other studies that go and show the legitimacy of mental health, I think are really important too, because they help people to realize that though you can't see it, it's there and it's really, really important that we take care of it. Mm -hmm. I think something that gets lost too is with us being virtual, that we're kind of malnourished in our emotions a little bit in the sense that we don't really have the opportunity to interact with each other face-to-face as humans and human nature has allowed us to for years. Um, And I know that it has these advantages of, oh, I can step out and go pick up my kid and I'll have coverage. And I think that's wonderful. And I think there are so many great things about being able to work from home. But I think there's also a huge thing that's lacking in the sense that we're not able to get that interpersonal communication that we would get for being in the office. And even hybrid sense, if for the people who are back in the office two, three days a week, I mean, I would love that because, again, we all are selfishly like wanting to be able to jump out and go to the dentist quick and come back if it's not close to where your office would be. Obviously, it makes life a lot easier. And all those things are great. But as I said, it's kind of like a in-the-moment pleasure, if you will. It's an instant gratification that you get from being able to do that. That's basically what it is why we all love working from home because we have that ability to walk down to our kitchen and grab a snack and run back right up to our computer. And we don't have to sit down and actually eat it and pay attention to what you're eating and what you're doing in that moment. You can still continue on this phone call or writing this email while you're shoving something down your mouth just because you know you're hungry, but you're not enjoying it or even eating something healthy necessarily. It's the production thing, actually, we were talking about before. We just want to keep pushing things out the door so we don't pay attention to the little things anymore and although it seems great because it seems like we're doing something that's just the instant gratification it's not necessarily a long-term benefit Mm -hmm. i would think that in the long run it can get super isolating i know for me personally in my little four square where like (laughs) i don't have much interaction other than the people i talk to on the screen during the day and it can get to you you know and i think that's a huge part of it as well we're not really experiencing social ability the same way that we used to be. I know for me, the social balance of having worked in the office, that was great. You know, even like before and after meetings, like people are earlier, people are late. You get a little work done and you also just 
I'll say it. You shoot the shit. You just you connect with yes, people. And you, it's and it's balance. It's welcome balance to the stress of the job because so you know timelines change and things happen. Like you know sometimes we're really busy, sometimes we're not. But there was a nice balance to that. And I know for me personally. I do really value my productivity and the value that I bring to my teams. And I'm proud of the work that I put out there and I work really hard to do that, but such to my detriment sometimes. And I know that I personally put a lot of pressure on myself such that there was once when I was doing a messaging exercise. It was kind of like one of the first times I ever did messaging and it was like my third round of it. Like they just weren't there yet. The clients like, you know, they're nitpicking it and I was really stressed and, you know, like I just wasn't getting like why it wasn't there. And like the third round, yeah, and I was like, oh, this is, has to be it. You know, the team, we've been routing it. The team is aligned. And we get an email from the clients that say something along the lines of, I think we need to have a regroup on core strategy, which just indicates to me like core concept kid, you're missing it. And I remember I want to embrace my emotions personally. If I'm happy, oh, let's be happy. If I'm sad, let's be sad. Let's curl over the horror movie, you know, and just let it process. And so I was sad, you know, I was disappointed and I embraced that. But in embracing that, I started getting stressed, thinking, oh, more criticism. There's going to be more comments. There's going to be more work, more. I had worked so late before that, that, oh, that wasn't enough. I need to do it again. And so the sadness started to turn to stress and I felt my breathing start to get shallower. And I realized in embracing that sadness, I started to panic and it was only the second time I think that I've ever really had a real panic attack because they stand out to me. There's one in college and this was really the second time. It was actually sometime last year. But it was such a shame because, you know, like I had worked so hard and I just like letting myself feel what I wanted to feel ended up just like getting so bad. And like I had to lay down and I was on the floor crying, like unable to really handle like my own failure under my own pressures that I was putting on myself to be a productive, not only productive, like not only getting the work done, but getting the work done well, right? And doing the job that's expected. And I remember saying to my boyfriend, really thankfully, I, you know, I had a support. I appreciated having that. But I remember reducing to the point where I just kept repeating, I can't have limits. I can't have limits. Because personally, I'm used to being a straight A student. You know, I'm used to being a high performer. But I didn't know how to deal with failure, you know, and I still don't. I'm still learning. I'm still learning to. In fact, I had a great supervisor, Mike Knuckles, who gave me a point of view that was like, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. Mm. And I really appreciated that perspective at a certain point because I want to grow. I want to be better. And then having that perspective of discomfort, meaning that you're doing something new, you're learning, it helped me recontextualize what that negative feeling might be because you could look at that feedback like hey we need to go back to the drawing board as like i messed up or it's an opportunity to do it again and do it better so it does like stand out to me as like a pressure moment and thankfully i haven't had that bad of an experience again i've got like more support but there is this productivity pressure and these pressures that maybe other people don't even put on us we put really on ourselves but is the stigma always external or how much does it you know come internally us thousand percent and i i really appreciate you sharing that i'm so sorry that you had that experience but i do love when people are open and vulnerable about those experiences because i think it opens the door for connection and for us to all kind of realize that we are not different even somebody who 
I look at you, I work with you on a brand and I think you are phenomenal and you're confident and you come into meetings with poise and conviction. And so for me to hear that you went through that experience, it makes my experience being human feel like, oh, if someone like Dina can be human, then I can be human too. So I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's a really great sentiment. And I think and I hope that other copywriters who are hearing that experience who may be more junior in their careers will really appreciate that. But one thing that you said resonates with me, which is that notion of kind of perception and the way that you perceive your work and the way that you perceive your failure. And I was like you, I was the A student. I loved going to school. I loved getting a grade. And I always put my best foot forward when it came to my work. And I thought what my best foot was, was the foot where I was running and pushing my pedal to the metal as hard and fast as I could. And you burn out. You just do. We are people and we have max capacities and I ran that to the ground. And so what I eventually, as I kind of grew up in my career, had to establish as my new goal, as my new finish line was, and finish line is probably not accurate because it's a work in progress, but my new standard is what is the best and most I can work where I am still a good quality person in other aspects of my life. My best work is not the most that I can work, but the best work that I can do while still maintaining my life, right? Because that then in turn is going to allow me to be more creative. It's going to allow me to be more thoughtful when I'm doing my work. So it's really about reestablishing that perception of what is success for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's like, just honestly, it's so true because when you think about external versus internal pressures, you have both. Like we have the industry and society, as we were saying before, that we just constantly want to be productive, which is, I think, where probably our internal self pressures come from and our view of ourselves is just before Jess, like it really hit me when you said, oh, if Dina can be can be have these moments and be a human like so can i and it's kind of like how is dina viewing herself like she's not looking at herself like wow dina like she's so impressive like she's so like we look at each other at these such high standards and such high regard and we're really just kind of bowing down to the work that each of us do and then how are we looking at ourselves you know, like, why are we pushing ourselves to those limits where we're getting to a point where we have to, like, have those breakdowns and, ha- like, have those human moments, if you will. And I think that that's horrible that we lead ourselves to that direction in the way that we're not seeing our own worth and how great it is, all the stuff that we're putting out there. And I think that we have to remind each other of those things because sometimes we can get lost in our own internal pressures. Okay. In order to communicate what you need to others, you need to understand what your own mental and emotional well-being needs. And to that end, how do you begin to really understand that? How do you begin to understand what you need? Jess, do you have any thoughts? I think that when it comes to mental health, one of the most important things that we can remember is we're playing a game of inches and this is a marathon and not a sprint. And so... 
especially if you're in a time where you're really struggling or you're in sort of the depths of a depressive episode or whatever it may be that for you feels like the thing that is dragging you down. I don't think there is anything or activity that you can do in a, a moment that is going to magically turn around everything for you. But I think in those moments, what the best thing that we can do is, is Olivia, it just keeps coming to my head what you said of be really mindful, right? Like, let's pay incredibly close attention to ourselves to see what are the things that I do that make me feel 1% better? Okay. And if I do that again, maybe it'll make me feel 5% better. And maybe there's another activity that also makes me feel 2% better. And day in and day out, it can take a little while. But if you really get clear about the things that you know in whatever capacity they can lift you up, when you start to make those habits over time, they really start to compound on each other. And so, like, for example, for me, in the middle of a workday, every now and then, I need a 10-minute walk. I need to get outside. I need to have a conversation with a barista. I need to be out in the world. And in those moments when I'm feeling super down or super panicked, even that little behavior is not going to take away my stress. It's not going to pull me out completely. But if I make that a part of my routine, eventually it starts to really, really help. And if you're aware too, that if that is something that helps you, that gives you yeah. the capability to then go to your teammates and say, hey, need 10 minutes to walk and talk to my barista. You know, you can just then yes. be very straight up and straightforward about it and people will respect that. And you won't have to be as worried about that guilt that we were talking about before. I mean, at least you shouldn't be at that point. But the guilt we were talking about before, you can confidently say, I'm doing something that's helping me and bettering myself. And that will then help you in the long term. So... There's no guilt allowed. <laughs> completely. No, I, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all about being mindful just across the board because it's mindful in neutral situations. And then when something happens and makes you feel negative, like what is that being mindful of what that thing is that made you feel that way when you're just sitting at home, relaxing, being mindful that you're feeling good doing this or doing nothing or doing a, a video game reading, like whatever the thing is. They may be disconnected, but in those negative moments, that mindfulness, I guess, gives you an arsenal of things like, oh, I know walks make me feel better, you know, having a coffee or playing with my cat. Those things in those moments separately made me feel better. Let me apply those now. Yeah, I call it like my mental health toolbox. And so when I'm feeling down, if I don't know what to do in that moment or nothing sounds good or appealing, you kind of have to so take a compassionate approach with your brain and be like, okay. I understand we're feeling a little stressed right now. Let's go for that walk. Let's do that workout. Let's do that meditation. Let's call our grandmom. Like whatever it is that you find helps you to be able to have quite a few options at your disposal. It helps in times where you may not have the resources or the capacity to start to establish what it is that you need in that moment. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're all just constantly on autopilot. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's a big term in mental health is that we're lacking that mindfulness is just being on autopilot kind of just going through the motions and not really acknowledging the way we're feeling and not acknowledging your thoughts in such detail as whether you're playing that video game or you're playing with your cat whatever and they might 
be feeling good and you're doing it because you're just like, wow, I feel good right now. But being aware that this is something that helps you is a huge, huge step in that sense. Like it's not just, oh, I feel good. So I'm going to do it in this moment. Like make it a routine. Make sure you're making the habit of it. Like we were saying before with the trigger, why am I going to play with my cat right now? Being just completely aware and mindful of every thought and feeling you're having that you're looking for some sort of self-care behavior is so important because you might lose sight of what it is that you're doing, why you're feeling it. There's a lot more to it than just going and grabbing something that will make you smile for a minute. You have to be aware of it all. And I think that's super important to touch on just because it's hard. Mental health isn't just something that we talk about for fun. Mm-hmm. Or we talk about because some people feel stressed sometimes. It's a real deal thing where every day we're all in our own complex minds battling ourselves with all of these thoughts. And regardless of the severity or it could be just what pencil you want to use that day and you're with your notebook, like you're constantly thinking. Things are constantly happening and flowing through your brain, whether it's work, life, anything. And it's not to be diminished. I think that that's something that we often forget. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different ways to preserve and care for your mental, emotional, and social well-being. Like a therapist might recommend like a certain set of strategies. You know, for people that do have an internal monologue and it happens to be often negative, I've heard of people giving it a name, you know, oh, that's Patricia, you know, and separating themselves from the thought. So it's not just them talking to themselves like, oh, when their mind is telling them you messed up, you're never going to bounce or, you know, terrible stuff like that, that we know isn't true logically. We can just be like, oh, that's Patricia, you know, just going off again. But I guess like the role of a therapist, it can't be underestimated. But Olivia, what does self-care mean to you? To me, self-care means a lot of different things. Therapy being included in that. I be a therapist and I feel like sometimes I go to her and I walk out feeling a million times better. And I sometimes walk out feeling a million times worse. And I think it all is very dependent on my approach to it. And I think, obviously, choosing your therapist and who you see and all that good stuff obviously plays into that. I'm very lucky that I have a therapist who I feel like is a great match for me personally. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about going to therapy is that I can go there and I can feel the way I want to feel unapologetically. And I think that's a huge thing I've taken away from that. And I think something we were kind of just talking about, too, is accepting our own feelings and allowing ourselves to feel those things and not getting down on yourself or mad at yourself for having feelings in general because you're having a feeling you're not the most productive for the day or something like that. You're able to go and talk about it because I think during the day we're so laser focused on what it is that we're doing and all of these thoughts are racing through our minds and we haven't even really had the chance to process them so we're moving so quickly. So I think a huge part about going to therapy for me is being able to sit down and actually take a moment, have an hour, whatever, however long your session is, to really sit there in it all, feeling it all. And now you're forced almost to process and to think through and Mm -hmm. to better yourself. We don't take time for ourselves for those things usually. Therapy is a good ritual, if you will, to get your mind to a place to know, okay, I have this space to just let it all out and feel comfortable and start knowing myself more to become the best version of myself that I can be. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jess, what are your tips and tricks for finding a good therapist? Oh, that's a great question. I could sing the praises of therapy all day. I started therapy when I was 23. I've been seeing the same therapist since. Her name is Beth, and she's a queen. <laughs> but I think it really helps to know what you're looking for in a therapist, mm-hmm. right? So for me, it was really important that I had somebody who was not my age, but not too much older, right? Beth is probably 35 and I'm 26. And she just had a very similar background to me. And when I talked to Beth, a lot of therapists who are people who I would say would be really worth pursuing will typically give you like a five minute phone consultation so you can have a quick chat and see if you guys are a good fit. But as soon as I got on the phone with her, we probably talked for 30 minutes and I could just tell you are the person who I want to be in 10 years. And so that for me was a really important piece. But you know, there's some benefit too to having a therapist who may not be exactly like you who has a different perspective from you. So when it comes to finding a therapist, there are a lot of really great resources. Psychology Today kind of allows you to go in, put in any specific things you may be struggling with or may particularly want to work on. It'll tell me what kinds of therapy that person does, whether they specialize in mindfulness-based stress reduction or cognitive behavioral therapy. And if you have some sort of perception of what you think would be a good fit for you, that's a helpful filter as well. And then, of course, insurance plays a factor because Mm -hmm. therapy is absolutely incredible. It's, It's really expensive if you're not seeing somebody who is in your network. So, I think that's a great resource. A lot of therapists have websites and places that you can go to learn a little bit more about them. Mm-hmm. But I think my biggest recommendation would be maybe find three that you think could be a good fit for you. Shoot them an email and see if you can get on the phone with them. It's typically something where you can tell if you would be a good fit with them when you have a conversation. And I think that's really important because the vast majority of success in therapy comes not from the work you do or the conversations you have. It comes from the quality of the therapeutic relationship. It comes from knowing that you have someone who you feel supported by, who you trust, who you feel like is a good person who can really help you. And mm-hmm. so it's definitely important, but I do understand it can be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I guess one other fun tip would be if you have anyone in your life who knows you really well, who you think would be willing to help support you in that way, who would be able to help you look. Like my sister found my therapist for me. I found my sister's therapist for her. It's just kind of been a cyclical thing in our family. And when you're feeling down or you're feeling like you don't necessarily have the mental capacity, taking on the task of finding a therapist can be really difficult. So mm-hmm. definitely would recommend any of those options. Yeah. And given the subjective nature of that, you know, like patient therapist relationship, it can take some time, right? Yes. Like, it, you know, like a trial and error, like this didn't fit. Like, uh, that's a great point that you need to know what you're looking for. So you can even know what specialty the therapist should work in, but you might have to search a couple of times and it is really hard, but it is invaluable. We are coming close to time. So I just want to check, Olivia, do you have any final recommendations for people starting their mental health journey? Um, I guess all I'll say is every step counts. 
no matter how small. And I feel like if you're just listening to a podcast that you think is mental health geared and you kind of just want to learn a little bit more, just pat yourself on the back for even having that initial thought that, hey, this is something I kind of want to look into. And from there, a lot of it, I think, is just step by step. Some people sprint, some people crawl and then they walk and then they sprint. And it's honestly all a process. And it's so important. I can't stress enough how important it is. It just, as we were saying in the beginning, affects every aspect of your life. And it affects every aspect of your life, work, at home, everywhere, the people that are around you and surround yourself with the people that will support you in your journey. It's so important. I just can't stress it enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jess, what are your net net recommendations for starting your mental health journey? Oh, that was beautiful. You have to remember that your brain is not your enemy. It's your friend. Even in the times that it feels like it's working against you by giving you anxiety or you're feeling numb or whatever it is that you are feeling, it's typically your brain trying to protect you. And though sometimes our intentions don't match up with our brains or our brains are working on an operating system that's quite old and we're living in an age where a tiger isn't really running after you. It just may be someone who said something not nice to you and now you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders. Your brain and you are on the same team. And so as much as you can, if you can treat it with compassion and remind it that you're working together and that you love it and that you understand why it may be acting out, I have always found that that nets me out at a little more of a positive result than if I go gung-ho and get really frustrated or hate the way that my brain may be acting out. So mm-hmm. your brain's your friend and everybody else's brain is their friend too. Sometimes mm-hmm. we and others just may not act in the way that we would like because of circumstances that may be beyond our control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's the only one you got. We have to take yeah. care of it, you know, physically and psychologically. And one of the things you said in, a, in an earlier discussion that we had was that you can't pour from an empty cup. And yes. that self-care is not selfish. I highlighted those. And I, and I love that yeah, idea. That, <laughs> I love that idea, you know, that we really have to just generally prioritize yourself you know there is this idea of self-love like yeah, of course I, I love my dog i love hot dogs i love making a burger or whatever i don't know but how many things do you love until you say you know i love myself there's that button poetry thing one thank you for having this conversation with me guys like i appreciate your honesty and your willingness to have this conversation it's in the spirit of mental health awareness well it's a normalized conversations reduce stigma and i think it just speaks to the value of having safe spaces, you know, where people can feel that they can be honest and trust that they won't be judged, right? Because mental health in general or mental illness, it shouldn't be stigmatized, you know? It's just like, come as you are and we'll support you to be the best version of yourself. But even beyond that, the value of recognizing and prioritizing your own mental health. In order for us to help support you, you need to know what you need, right? You need to have this awareness of your own emotional well-being and, and your reaction to things and how you need to interact with the world. But again, thank you very much for having this conversation. There are a couple of resources I want to just rattle off in case anyone does have interest. Yeah, if you're in New Jersey, 211, I believe, is the New Jersey Mental Health Resource Specialist. There's the National Alliance on Mental Illness and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, National Helpline. There's also 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline available. 
Also consider social media resources. You know, there's Facebook groups or Reddits or different opportunities to find special interest groups maybe near you that you can connect with, as well as really embracing a personal support system. You know, friends, family, loved ones, finding people that you can confide in. Also therapy, whether that's in person, there's virtual options, but, you know, considering where you can get your support from. I believe that's all the time we have for today. Again, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice. And please let us know if you'd like to hear something on a future episode. You can email podcast at mccannhealth.com or reach out directly to anyone on the team. Truth Well Spoken is produced by Jay Burkowski, Dina Ragov, Dina Rao, Natalie Mercer, and Melissa Kaczynski. Until next time, I'm Dina Rao, and thank you for listening.